Hey, what is going on, everybody? And welcome to Listen Money Matters. Life is a game and money is how we keep score. My name is Thomas, and I don't agree with that catchphrase, but we did have a catchphrase submitted to us, so I did want to read it out. <laughs> how do we keep score? Bananas. Bana- ah, I have my- like a giant closet full of bananas. I'm doing well. <laughs> anyway, my name is Thomas. I'm here as always with my good friend Andrew. Andrew, how are you? And what are you drinking, dude? Dude, good. I am drinking uh, a Hop Rod Rye Specialty Ale to uh, end the day on eight percent. Nice. Oh, it's and four p.m. for you, isn't it? Yes. Do you know where your cats are? It is almost done. Do I know where your cats are or my cats? I don't know. It, don't they say on TV like it's 10 p.m.? Do you know where your kids are or something? Oh, where your kid? Yes. Yes, they do. Uh, oh, I know last episode your cat was sitting like on your shoulder the whole episode pretty much. Oh, she was the worst. <laughs> Good comeback cool. though. My joke was so bad I started to sweat. <laughs> uh, guess what I'm drinking? Kale you, you juice. <laughs> so you take a sip. <laughs> now, now I feel like you're getting it. Just like troll me or something. Just troll <laughs> oh, I went, so our last episode ended, and I was like, okay, I had to get my video out, and I had like an hour and a half before this one, and I'm like, what am I gonna do with that hour and a half? And I was like, well, whenever I don't know what to do with an hour and a half, I have to go to the gym. It's like a little rule. I thought you were gonna say drink kale juice. Well, but well, okay, you get done with the gym and mm. you're like, I'm going to go do another episode. Should I drink beer and negate all that time in the gym or do I just go buy a kale juice? So I, I may be a fitness expert, as many people say, but uh, I, I believe you're supposed to have protein after you go to the gym. No? Um, I had lunch like right before I ate. Also, I, I don't care that much about optimization. I just knew that I would mentally feel like a cognitive dissonance of mm. sorts and I would feel unhappy if I were drinking alcohol right after going to the gym <laughs> <laughs> and I feel better drinking a kale juice so it is it is partly to troll you but also partly for legitimate reasons all right anyway guys so I have I have heard the word commodities many times in my uh, my tenure as a personal finance media personality put that as Ooh. a term on this web- website <laughs> Um, but I don't know a whole lot about them. And I'm guessing, Andrew, you don't know that much either. You probably know more than me. I, I feel like I know like a micron more. Micron, all right. Like I, cool. I know that I'm pretty sure you could get oil delivered to your house, but that I'm also not willing to commit to that. I can go to Walmart and buy some oil. I do know that. So anyway, suffice it to say that uh, your two hosts are complete knuckleheads when it comes to commodities. But that is why we go and find experts on the subjects we know nothing about. And today, our expert of the day is Carly Garner, who is a commodity trader and the author of a book called Higher Probability Commodity Training. Uh, trading, sorry. <laughs> the word probability is in the title. It's good, right? <laughs> it has to be, right? You can't go wrong with that word. Exactly. Carly, are you drinking anything? You know what? I'm drinking water, but that's only because I've spent all day drinking coffee and Diet Mountain Dew. So I've, gotcha. I've reached my max when it comes to caffeine. So you're just at the computer, just jittering and shaking. <laughs> I, exactly. It's, it's a lot like that. Yeah. Is that That's how you could buy stressful trading day? Yeah. Well, I start, I'm on the West coast. So I start at 5am and it's, oh, wow. you know, as much as I'd love to go to bed at eight or nine at night and get a full night's sleep, it just never happens that way. So I'm always just, I, I need the extra boost. Going to bed at day. eight or nine is impossible. It, it, it really is. It is. Like it's I just, hard. I've tried so many times to be one of those people who can go to bed at nine, get up at four. It just, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. There's always something on Netflix or there's 
a sports game going. There's something going on that has my attention, and so it never works. Yeah, Bachelor in Paradise terrible. starts at eight, so it's like you can't go <laughs> to bed is. until when it's over. Am I right or am I right? <laughs> Thomas, <laughs> Thomas knows. <laughs> I do know. The only time I ever watch The Bachelor is when I am a captive audience. Staying <laughs> so, <in the> you, <laughs> you don't pay for cable, right, Thomas? No, I don't. Well, I mean, actually, I don't either. But I feel like the only time you ever fly to New York is when some season of The Bachelor is on because you really want to watch it. Correlation does equal causation. That is true. Mm. So I guess I am the world's <laughs> biggest Bachelor fan. <laughs> anyway, so Carly, school us on commodities. What exactly are they? And, and from the perspective of a trader, like are you buying uh, two tons of coffee beans right. on a okay. Tuesday morning? Or what exactly do you do with commodities? So, so we are, we're basically a, a brokerage service. And what we deal in is futures and options on futures. So – uh, anytime people say I'm trading commodities, well, wait, 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 hold on a second. You said okay. two words that actually Thomas okay. said before he joined uh, the call, and I was like, "Don't ask what those are, Thomas. <laughs> it's gonna be <laughs> what are those, Carly?" Right. Okay. <laughs> so most people, when they say I'm, I trade commodities, that's what they're talking about is futures and options on futures, and those are basically um, they are standardized agreements. I'll, I'll just stick with futures, not options. I think that's probably going to be a little too too much for this mm. discussion, but futures are basically standardized agreements to buy or sell the underlying commodity in a specific quantity, uh, grade, and at, at a certain time in the future. So for example, corn futures are 5,000 bushels. If somebody wanted to uh, purchase corn thinking that, you know, they maybe they think corn's going to go higher and it'll be higher by December, they could buy a corn futures and then come December, they would have the option to either take delivery, actually take the 5,000 bushels of corn or sell their futures contract back and just uh, either take the profit or loss if, if the price of corn went down. So 99.9% .9 of the transactions going on in the futures markets never involve delivery of the underlying mm -hmm. commodity. It's just basically people are speculating. They want to uh, make money if they're right on the on their forecast. The the problem with well, I shouldn't say the problem, but the the best part about the commodity markets and also the worst part about the commodity markets is they're all leveraged, and okay. that's where people get into trouble. For example, you can buy a crude oil futures contract that controls roughly fifty thousand dollars worth of crude oil for about three thousand dollars in margin, and that's oh, that's wow. why people okay. get that's why people get stuck is because it's kind of like going to a Las Vegas buffet. You pay a set price to get in, and but you can eat as much as you want. And futures markets are the same way. There's there's no limit to the leverage, and it's free, so people abuse it and they indulge, and that's why most people lose trading commodities. But my brain is melting. Right now. <laughs> right. so, okay, to take a step back, there, I, if I understand okay. this properly, I think there is like a real world example for these these okay. tools. It's like so. Say I had like a corn tortilla chip company, and sure. I thought that you know, I don't know, hurricane, blah, 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 was going to destroy all the corn in the U.S., I would buy futures at a low price so that I could make my chips and still make a profit. Correct, right. That's exactly right. Um, in fact, if you remember when um, crude oil went to like $150 a barrel in, mm. you know, 2007, you probably have read a million articles about how Southwest hedged their oil where like no other airlines did. So all the other airlines were paying a fortune for gasoline and Southwest was too, but they were smart enough to go and buy uh, futures on gasoline and crude oil before the big run up. And so they were, they were hedged enough that their costs really didn't change. So yes, a lot of end users do use it to hedge their price risk. It's basically like locking in the price today. 
that way you know exactly i mean you can businesses can budget they know exactly what their cost mm. is for next year because they locked in their price today sometimes it works against them sometimes it works for them but at least they know there's no so is it, so it's yeah. basically like saying i want 5000 bushels of corn next june the price of 5000 bushels of corn right now is i don't know just say $2000 maybe that's completely off but so basically you're sure. saying like they, whoever holds the corn is saying, okay, I will take $2,000 right now. And then next June, I will deliver that corn to you. Even if that corn is worth $5,000. Exactly. Yep. And the okay. reason that, so now here's the thing you you brought up a good point. If these were just two people negotiating a contract together, why would one person uphold the other end? You know what I mean? The odds of default are pretty pretty big because if someone's obviously someone's making money on the deal and someone's losing right but there's no guarantee that the other person's going to hold up their end of the bargain that's what the exchange does is they ensure that everybody holds in their up their end of the oh. bargain so everything is guaranteed okay so how how do you make money if you don't take delivery because i, I could okay. imagine like all right i bought a corn future for two thousand uh, this year next year i take five thousand dollars worth of corn because of that i can go sell it for five thousand dollars then i've made three thousand it, if I don't take delivery, mm -hmm. oh, is it different? It's at, well, it's actually so much simpler. Like you're, you're making it a lot more complicated than it really is. So for okay. example, uh, corn, all of the grains are quoted in dollars and cents per bushel. So even though you're buying 5,000 bushels, you're only, um, it's only quoted on the, the price per one bushel. So for example, corn right now is, we'll just say it's $3.50 a bushel. Mm -hmm. So as a speculator, if you think the price of corn is going up, you buy it today at 350 or whatever the price is. And if the market goes to 370, you made 20 cents, which is $1,000 on your futures contract. So it's, it's honestly, it's so, it's as easy as clicking your mouse, you know, you buy, just like trading stocks or anything else. You click your mouse to buy, you click it to sell, you're boom, you're done. There's, it's not any more complicated than that. But obviously if you buy at 350 and the market goes down to 320, then you lost 30 cents, which means you lost 1500 bucks. Do I have to like uh, be really careful that thousands of bushels of corn like don't get delivered to my house? <laughs> I, I don't have any place to keep it. That's kind of you're right. That's like a big concern that everybody has, but it's really a myth. Honestly, the odds of you getting delivered upon are slim to none because your broker's not going to allow that to happen. Like. Uh, what we do with our clients is we make sure that they know when the first notice day is. And then if they're still holding positions, we give them a call and say, hey, you need to get out. Uh, and even if we completely, uh, you know, fail to do our duties and, and warn our clients and it does go into a delivery notice, they can what they call retender it. They just tell the exchange, no way, I don't want it. And then the exchange just puts it back into the system. But it that experience would cost them three or 400 bucks to get out of their obligation, but it wouldn't be the end of the world. You're not going to be forced to take delivery. Okay. So, and I, I feel like I'm like slowly understanding and then like not like losing <laughs> understanding. But if I, if I am understanding correctly, all of these independent actors, like, you know, Thomas's banana farmers and the corn farmers, they're all delivering to the exchange and then the exchange is distributing it out or it's just a intermediate kind of yeah kind of but it's there are only there are really very few people that are actually um even farmers that are hedging 
or end users that are hedging also, they very rarely will actually take delivery of the corn. The exchange is really just offering the, um, the opportunity to either speculate or hedge in price. A very few, very, very few actually touch the corn or, you know, deliver it or anything like that. But the exchange does have the facilities available to do that. They basically pick out uh, X number of facilities in the country. And if you do go all the way to the end and take delivery of corn, you would be expected to go pick it up at one of those facilities. Okay. Um, but that, it never happens. I've been doing this for a long time and I've never had a client actually take delivery because it's really not in their best interest. They're, if they really wanted corn, they'd be better off just going to, you know, their, the closest local market, not mar not store, but like, uh, you know, silo or, or something. something. Yeah. Well, maybe right. not Costco even, but a silo or something nearby and negotiating there because that way they don't have to transport it all the way across the country and that sort of thing. Mm. Yeah. So, but somebody is eventually receiving the corn that a futures contract on corn represents, right? A few people are, but most of them are not because you can, the thing about commodities, because they're st standardized futures contracts, you can buy or sell or in any order. So if I'm buying corn, somebody else is selling that contract. And basically everybody is just exchanging this uh, hypothetical liability, but no one ever exchanges the actual commodity. So it's kind of like, it's not unlike when you're trading stocks, you're trading a piece of paper. I mean, that paper represents ownership in a company, but you really just, clicking a button and exchange, you know what I mean? Aren't we driving like farmers insane though? Like, is this why they're all dying? Because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sure it, yeah, I'm sure it, uh, it causes them some stress. And the thing is, especially, uh, and this goes with all the commodities, you hear it all the time, especially in crude oil. When crude oil was at $150 a barrel, you remember there were all these uh, congressional testimonies and hearings. Speculators were ruining the world because they were driving the price of crude oil up. Well, I'm sure farmers have the same thing. You know, speculators mm. really do. They'll temporarily, they will influence prices. They'll push commodities probably a little higher than they should go and a little lower than they should go. It goes both ways. But in the end, I think the speculators really give the market a better chance to um, efficiently discover pricing. Can you explain how a speculator or group of speculators actually drive the true price up? Okay. On a commodity? So, so I'll give you an example. In uh, 2000, I think it was like 2011, 2000, yeah, 12, somewhere in there. If you remember, the price of gold ran up to like $1,900. It was really completely insane. And it, it, I really think it was because at that time, electronic trading was coming, uh, becoming popular. And so anyone with a pulse and a mouse could buy gold. And so everybody just bought gold, not understanding exactly what they were doing. They didn't understand the leverage or the risk or anything involved. All they know is they saw some commercial on TV that said the dollar's going to hell in a handbasket and they should buy gold. And that, so they did. And so they bid the price up to gold just to $1,900. And then immediately once the last buyer was in, the market collapsed uh, two, three, 400 bucks in like a month or so. So basically just because a lot of people are buying it, there is an increase or there's a perception yeah. that the value is increased because the demand is higher. And so more and more people get in on it until eventually it gets to the point where people are like, oh, wow, this isn't actually worth, worth this much. Or there's no traders left to make purchases, at which point it, the it, true value is realized and then everyone loses. Their right. It, it's a little bit of that. I mean, markets are like pendulums. You know, they swing a little too far in each direction and it's a bandwagon mentality. Humans really are, uh, 
sheep. You know, they, they jump on the bandwagon and they get excited and they throw all their money at something without ever doing their homework or thinking about things logically. And then when that excitement fizzles out, uh, the market, re, you know, generally violently reverts back to some sort of equilibrium, equilibrium price. And so, um, you know, we see it over and over and over. You heard about the, you know, the tulip craze mm. centuries yes. ago, that sort of, it happens all the time. And unfortunately, humans just never seem to learn. So speaking of this whole digital trading, mouth and a pulse thing, uh, Bitcoin, um, is that a commodity? And is that a buy or a super buy? Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, it's not a commodity in that it's not a legally tradable futures contract. So we don't deal in it. Um, I mean, I'm kind of a speculator watching from the sidelines in just complete awe. So I, I really have, I have no idea what to make of it other than I tend to think that the end result will be something similar to what we saw in gold in 2012, 2011, or, you know, the tulips way back when it's people are buying without any, regard for price or fundamentals or reality and so it is what it is and isn't that why ends, bitcoin is end. awesome though because it's like i don't know <laughs> right. crypto i think it's you know it's a, a cool idea but mm. had i bought bitcoin at five six hundred bucks i would think it was fabulous but here i would never i wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole no way and you're saying because there's no <laughs> there's no actual store of well, value it's all me talking to you and then a bunch of people listening go and buy it to get rich that's my take on it it's just a lot of hype and i mean first of all we really don't truly know if any government is going to accept it with any type of you know as any type of legitimate currency so i it really honestly i just think it's uh, a lot of hype and i doubt it's gonna last i do feel like it is a lot of hype like i don't i know you can buy certain things with bitcoin there's like this coffee shop online I've seen that takes Bitcoin. I think um, Mike Tyson takes Bitcoin. Uh, does he? He has vending machines. The, I think the, the Against Malaria Foundation, you can donate to them in Bitcoin. But I think every time I hear about it, it's like people getting into it because they just want to ride the train right. all the well, way up to the moon. I think you're absolutely right. But with that said, I mean, the real, the in initial um, appeal of it was you know, money laundering, you don't have to worry about taxes, you can buy and sell illegal goods. So that's really what originally was driving it. And then it got into the speculative side of things. So uh, either way, I think at some point, uh, regulation and governments will probably crack down on it. And it'll probably end badly is my guess. Yeah, I'm personally interested to learn more about how cryptocurrency works, how blockchains work. But the specific cryptocurrencies, I think, is where people can get into trouble because yeah. they'll start believing that, say, Bitcoin or maybe Ethereum now or Dogecoin or something is going to go to the moon and right. then they get in trouble. Well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I remember uh, several years ago, do you remember everyone trying to sell each other the Iraqi dinar? and for no. like thousands and thousands. Oh, that was like a big scam. Yeah. So I think it'll be something like that. It's basically things are only worth what people perceive them to be worth, but right. they're a lot of things that people perceive to be very valuable are, are worthless. And I think that's really what Bitcoin will eventually be. Okay. So, um, so I think it was like four or five years ago. I, before 
I, I lost it. I had this like awesome deck in a backyard and we had like these parties and this one dude showed up and he, he was an oil trader. And I was like, I was like, okay, cool. Like, what do you do? And I wasn't like really, I'm not sure I even know like what he did. Like if somebody is, and, and you're, I'm guess, I'm guessing either an oil trader or all of the above commodity traders. Like what does that mean? Like, would you, do you just take money from chumps like me and (laughs) (laughs) okay well I mean me personally I'm a broker so I have clients that trade like most of my clients trade online via a trading platform and then I give them advice and commentary and guidance and try to make sure they don't do the make the common mistakes like you know holding contracts into delivery and that sort of thing um so that's what I do we do uh, we do do a lot of speculation like we put out trading recommendations but generally like if you run into someone on the street and they say they're a commodity trader they are generally talking about um you know trading the underlying futures and I can tell you mo- if you see if you meet someone that claims they're a commodity trader and they're flashy they are probably um, super rich bark- well no <laughs> actually kind of the opposite they're probably living beyond like honestly most people lose trading commodities because we, like I mentioned before it's all on leverage and so it's like you know when you buy a house and you put 5% down or 10% down uh, let's say you buy a $200,000 house and you put 10 grand down well you're making or losing money based on that $10,000 so or, but, but you're well you're a ba- I'm sorry based on the 200 $200,000, but your 10,000 investment is growing based on the profit and loss of the $200,000. So anyway, the leverage makes it really hard for traders to uh, control themselves and, and control their risk in a way where they can make money. So unfortunately, it's one of the, it's kind of the 80-20 rule. 80% of the people are losing and then 20% of those people are making money. But even the 20% that are making money are um, probably not as flashy as you would think like they're you know they're probably sitting in their pajamas somewhere and like a pretty modest because they know the thing about it is it's it's cyclical you're gonna see one month you might make a ton of money one month you might lose a ton of money so it's not like you're just living high on the hog all the time it's it's a rough business so one thing that that super interests me about this stuff is in, in a prior life i was a data guy and um I think like independently we're like all doing these things, but in aggregate, like the the market or the mass of people maybe tells a different story. Um, what like can you look at commodities and kind of attempt to like peer into the future or at least what people perceive will happen in the future? Uh, well, com- the commodity markets are forward looking just like all markets are. So yeah, I mean, absolutely. People are predicting what they think the future holds. With that said, I just told you before, most people lose. And get- so guess what? Most people are wrong. Mm. Like what we look for in the commodity markets is we look for markets that have made big moves that have large speculative positions. So for example, if, um, the majority of speculators are net long in a market. Usually the market's about to peak out. You know, every once that last buyer is in the, the buying dries up and then the market reverses and it, it does that more often than it doesn't. So the key is looking for where, you know, the overcrowded trades and then playing the other side, or at least that's where we've had the most luck. So there were a lot of terms in there. Um, I know what long and short is cause I've watched the big short a bunch of times. <laughs> <laughs> what exactly is net long mean? And what is like, okay. 
speculative market, all that kind of mean? Sure. Okay. So the the CFTC, which is the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, they issue a report every week that that basically tells us what speculators are doing, um, and they, they separate it by big speculators and small specs. Like people like us were were small specs. The big specs are trading like giant accounts, multi million dollar accounts, trading big contracts. But what we look for is those big guys, the, the large specs or the large speculators. We look for them putting on a, a, a large position one way or the other. If it's bullish, you know, in that long position, meaning that they're long, that group of traders is long more contracts than they're short. And they've gotten to a point where the, you know, maybe the bus is a little too full. They're just too long. Because the thing about it, I just, I mentioned earlier in the interview, in futures, you can buy or sell in any order, but to get out, you always have to do the opposite. So for example, if you think crude oil is going down, you sell it today and then you buy it back at some point in the future. But the only way to get out of that is to, is to buy. So if everybody is short, if everybody's oh. sold, eventually at some point they're going to have to buy to get out because futures contracts expire. It's not like stocks that just last forever. Futures contracts expire periodically. So those people that sold have to buy to get out. You're saying so when like you, see, you can't sell something that you don't have. Like if I sell a hundred barrels of oil, I'm like, whoa, I just made money. But I eventually have to come up with those hundred barrels of oil. Well, you don't have to come up with it. You just have to buy back your futures contract. Mm. So if, if crude oil is at 50 bucks and you think it's going to 40, you just, all you do is you sell a futures contract in your trading account. And then you hope that you can buy it at some price lower than 50. And you could... You could buy it two seconds after you enter it, or you could buy it two months after you enter it. It just depends on you know what your time horizon is. But it's, is the it's value a, of the futures contract defined by the number of barrels, say, that you have agreed to buy? So okay, so all all contracts are based on the same contract size. So no matter what your who which brokerage firm you're using or what exactly you're doing, if you're buying crude oil, you're always uh, buying a thousand barrels. Okay, so fifty barrels at a thousand. You said 1,000 barrels, right? It's right. 1,000 barrels. So, and oh, sure, $50 a barrel, say. So that's a $50,000 contract if it was at $50 a barrel. Exactly. Correct. Yes. So then if you bought it back, at uh, if it was at 40 bucks a barrel, you just mm -hmm. made 10 grand. Is that basically how it works? Yep. Exa you're exactly right. Yes. So if you think that oil is going down, you would want to sell a futures contract and then correct. try to buy it back later. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, and you can do that without ever seeing the oil or signing anything or anything. All you're doing is clicking a button in your platform and boom, you're. So you're, as long as the buys and the sells happen, they kind of cancel each other out. And at the end of right. the day, that's like most of the activity in the commodities markets and the actual oil is not moving around. Right. Well, more oil will move around. Yes. But it's based on who's motivated more the buyers or the sellers, but you're right. Almost yeah. like for every buyer, there's a seller. And so that, so yeah. it's a zero sum game. Someone's winning on the trade and someone's losing on the trade. I guess I didn't mean that oil wasn't moving around, but I'm like, yeah. like, I'm saying there will be like 10 contracts, but then at the end of the day, the oil will only move once. Is that correct? Um, it, I mean, it's, it's complicated because there are like, for example, today, just in the, the front month contract, there are like 45,000, or I'm sorry, 404,000 contracts traded. So it's just happening so frequently and so often that uh, it's it gets a little bit hairy. But I mean, yeah, I mean, in simplicity, yeah, that's exactly right. Okay. So basically, if there's, you said 404,000 contracts right now? Correct. Right. 
and you, trade, in each yeah. one, uh, what, are you, what were you saying? I was just saying, so there's, there's futures contracts for every month. So the front month, which is now October, it, it traded about 404,000 contracts today, and each contract is worth uh, roughly $50,000. Okay. And so are that is that 404,000 contracts, meaning all for oil or for like every every commodity? Uh, that is just for oil. That is just for the October oil futures. Uh, the no- okay. And so there's, it's actually, that's actually kind of underestimating how many are trading. So for example, the November futures contract had like 382,000 contracts. The December had wow. like 155. So there's a lot of people trading oil, but it's a little deceiving in that that includes, um, that includes like day traders. There are people, you'd be surprised, people that are in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out all day long. So yeah. a lot of those people aren't actually just holding and, uh, you know, so, buying and hanging on to crude looking for a hundred bucks. They're like scalping. What percentage okay, so do you think gets settled out of that like 400 or 350,000? Uh, you mean how many people like actually hold it overnight? Like, like how many people are like Southwest and they're like, I actually really need this oil to like run my business. Uh, None. (laughs) I mean, not very many. Honestly, most of it is just active specs. I would say like to give you an idea, the, we also get stats on open interest, which is how many people hold positions beyond the close. Uh, And there's something actually to keep in mind. Also day traders are offered discounted margins. So like I, earlier I told you it, the margin on crude oil is about $3,000. What does that mean? Meaning to, to buy or sell a futures contract, you need $3,000 in your account. Even but though it's worth 50,000? Even Yes. Even though it's worth 50. So that's the, the leverage. So you're, how does the leverage who, who's putting up the extra $47,000? The, the exchange, but technically you when it goes south, I guess. Does that make sense? It's the yeah, it's the exchange. So bakes that's the exchange is guaranteeing every um, every transaction. So okay. the exchange is saying basically, you can trade fifty thousand dollars worth of crude as long as you have three thousand dollars in margin today. And okay. the other, so that other forty seven thousand dollars doesn't really. Uh, it's not like anybody's holding it or exists. It's just representing the. Um, I guess what I'm saying is the, the exchange requires 3000 to make sure you can cover the risk of the price change. So that's, and that's why people get into trouble because if you can imagine $50,000 worth of crude oil, if it goes up or down 1%, you know, it's a, it's a big move on a $3,000 margin account. So what I recommend to people is instead of opening a futures trading account with 3000 and trading one crude oil, because they're probably going to end up blowing out their account. You want to give yourself, more room for error and you do that by reducing the leverage. So if you actually put $50,000 in a trading account and traded one futures contract, there would be no leverage at all. So you so can, you you know, can set how much leverage that you right. accept. Yeah, exactly. You can determine how much leverage you use. That's the problem. People don't understand that. They just assume that they should take what, all that the exchange gives them, but they shouldn't. It's, it's, so let's, let's construct a, a, um, like a bad scenario here. So say I do accept the leverage, I put $3,000 into a commodities account, I buy one crude oil future, that okay. contract's worth $50,000, so that means that's right. 50 bucks a barrel, right? It's, um, well, yes, it's yes, a thousand barrels, right? yes, 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 correct. So let's say like 
tomorrow it drops to 40 bucks a barrel, mm-hmm. the value of my contract is now $40,000. So if I sell that, does that mean I now owe the exchange 7,000? Okay. Yes. Um, however, this is how it works. This is what's so tough about being a broker. You, so you had 3000 in your account, you lost 10. So now your account is negative $7,000. Okay. So the exchange would come to your broker like me and say, Hey, where's my 7,000? So your broker would actually pay up front and then the broker would be responsible for going and getting it from the trader. But the trader doesn't always, isn't always able to pay. So the broker just ends up paying it for them. So you have to break the kneecaps. Yes. Yeah. So oh, man. Wait, which so is why, which is why, why we, would you ever accept a client then? Well, we don't, well, that's, that's a good question. Clients <laughs> are risky. So people always ask, well, why do you, you know, why do people, why do brokers charge commission? Well, it's because we're taking on risk. If, mm. if, if that sort of thing happens, it takes a heck of a lot of commission to earn back somebody losing more than they have on deposit. So it's, it's risk to take on clients. And that's why everyone always asks too, well, why do you care what I'm trading in my accounts? It's my money. Well, the reality is it's only your money until you run out of your money, then it's my money. So that's why the broker cares. Uh, but as a nowadays with everything electronic, it's so much easier to manage risks as we can see exactly where our clients positions are. We can see what their account balances are. And I mean, we never want to get touch anybody else's trades, but if they're about to lose more money than they have on deposit, we'll step in and make sure we can do anything we can to prevent that from happening. Cause they, the client doesn't want that either. They don't want to send more money after they had a bad trading day. Yeah. Um, but back in the, like when I first started in this business in 2004, it was people had computers, but it just, it really wasn't the same. All the commodity trading was open outcry. So, you know, you see on TV, like trading places, people waving their hands and yelling. It was like that. It wasn't computerized. So everything was done on paper. So it was, I mean, we had some doozies. I, I had a, not, not necessarily my clients, but clients that traded in the office underneath uh, some of my other brokers, they took their accounts negative, like hundreds of thousands of dollars. So it was really, really stressful. Yeah, it was brutal. So what I fail to understand is why are whatever contracts, not not, not the futures contracts themselves, but just mm-hmm. maybe the contract between you and the client, um, why are they not set up in a way where the client is liable for their own losses? Like, is it just a case that the exchange well, doesn't want to work with individual clients? So like, that's the only way right. you can get clients is if you accept their responsibility and liability as a broker? Correct. Right. So if, if somebody wanted, wants to trade commodities, there's only two ways to do it. They can either open an account with a broker such as myself, or if they don't want to go through a broker, they could become an exchange member. But to buy a seat on the exchange, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mm. So most people okay. have to go through a broker. So like us as brokers, we have relationships with people that have seats on the exchange. So we're basically the intermediary um, you know, giving our client access to the markets that they wouldn't otherwise have access to unless they bought a seat on the exchange. Gotcha. So even if you write into the contract, like if you lose money through our brokerage, we can come and like take your dog. Like the exchange <laughs> doesn't, I'm not saying you would do that. Yeah. I'm just saying like, no matter how ironclad the contract between you and the client is, if they literally don't have that money, the exchange is still coming to you because you are the person they worked through and they're like, you're yes. responsible for that dough. Right. So the, the exchange basically just, they just take it. They don't care where it comes from. They just take it. It usually comes out of the broker's commission. Um, but I mean, ultimately the, like when the client, when a trader opens an account, they do sign paperwork saying that they are responsible. If they lose more than what's on deposit, 
they're responsible for making up the difference. But there's been times where they simply, you know, just like someone that runs up their credit card debt too much, they maybe they just can't or, you know, they won't or whatever. So it, it does sometimes happen to where the clients won't pay their pay their deficit. But um, can you, you know, bankrupt a commodity deficit? Uh, technically, I guess, yeah, you probably could. Um, so yeah, it'd just be like any, I mean, opening a commodity account is a lot like applying for a car loan or a credit card or something like that. It's the same thing. So what are some of the things that you guys do as brokers to reduce the risk of that kind of a thing happening? Sure. I mean, and that's honestly, that is like our, that's our number one thing. I mean, aside from obviously bringing in clients and servicing them and making sure they're happy, we want to make sure that, um, they're happy in their trading, but they're also not putting our business at risk and, and our livelihood at risk. So we are, I mean, the futures markets are open basically 23 hours a day. They open on Sunday night and then they trade all the way through Friday afternoon. So 23 hours a day, we are at least in some sort of contact with the markets. Like I sleep with alarms on, if the markets are really moving, I'll sleep with a laptop next to my desk and make sure that nothing's happening. You know, I don't want to lose money while I sleep. That's no fun. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's tough. It can be tough at times. Since it's all online, do you guys have any sort of like, I don't know, like idiot controls? <laughs> like what, if I yeah. wake up tomorrow, I've got a brokerage account with you and I'm like, I really think that oil is going up to 70 bucks a barrel mm-hmm. because Mark Zuckerberg said so on TV. Like, right. is, is there a pop up that's going to be like, please verify you're not drunk right now or something. <laughs> I just feel like you guys um, really have a lot on the line. Sure. But then the clients have freedom to make decisions that could really heavily affect you. Right. That's, that's true. But yes, you're right. Like trading platforms have all kinds of risk parameters built in. So there's like what we call fat finger limits, quantity limits. So somebody, you know, for example, if someone has $10,000 in their account and they try to put in order for a thousand contracts or something stupid like that, the, the platform will kick it out. But that we also make sure that the platform makes sure that they do have the margin available. Um, I did mention before, like we have discounted day trading margins and that's normal in the industry. So, mm. but anytime you put in a trade, you have to at least have the discounted day trading margin available in your account for it to go through. So there's definitely some risk controls there. By discounted day trading, does that mean like for a normal client, they could have 3000 but for a day trader, they could have 2000 Yeah, they, the well, um, it's honestly, day trading mar- margin is kind of negotiable and it depends on platforms and things, but generally it can be about a thousand bucks for day trading margin. So wow. that, yeah, that's, and that's why I said before people abuse the leverage because it's there and it's free. And, but it, just imagine, you know, trading $50,000 worth of crude on a, thousand dollar account it doesn't work you're gonna it, the odds of making money are very slim unfortunately people try to do it all the time yeah that seems really dumb <laughs> right <laughs> hey i mean but still the exchange lets them do it so clearly yeah. there's some incentive for the exchange to let these dumb decisions be made right well and that's the problem too the like we don't encourage that kind of thing but a lot of brokers do because that's how they make their living they want people to trade more and if you know the more leverage they're using the more people are trading. And so it's, it's one of those things where they're trying to make money now, but they're not looking into the future. We're a little bit different. We try to encourage people not to trade like that and to trade on a slower pace because we want to make money, you know, commission on these people five years or 10 years from now, not just today. Yeah, exactly. What sort of commissions do you guys charge on a 
commodity order. Okay, so, I mean, we are just kind of the way it works. We're not the cheapest, but we give a lot more service than most. Like, if you tried to open with, a, like, a discount online firm, they'll just give you a platform and say, hey, here you go, go for it. Um, we're a lot different than that. We'll give you a platform, but we're going to give you newsletters, trading ideas, recommendations. If you pick up the phone and call us, we'll answer and answer, you know, we'll make sure you're taken care of immediately, not yeah. get some random clerk that doesn't know what's going on. Mm. Um, so, but we, we're pretty competitive. I mean, our online traders are tra- paying anywhere from like two and a half to three bucks uh, per side. So in that after thirty bucks per side, what does that mean? So that means like if you sell a futures contract, you we'll just say three bucks a side, just hypothetically. So if you sell crude oil, you pay three dollars in commission plus the exchange fees, and then if you when you get out, you pay another three plus commission. I mean, I'm sorry, plus okay. the exchange fees. So, so round turn is like, like six, seven bucks. Seven dollars. So that's right. really about the same as like what a Scott trade commission yeah, so, would be on buying. Yeah. So it's. Right. So we're pretty, we're actually around the same as like TD Ameritrade and that sort of thing. But if anybody that's ever tried to trade commodities with a, with a big shop like that knows that they, they try to tell you which contracts you can trade, like they limit what you can trade. Mm-hmm. They charge a higher margins. And if you have any questions whatsoever, they have nobody that can answer them because they're a, they're a stockbroker. They're not a commodity broker. They don't, it's not really what they do. Until you just said that right now, I did not know that you could buy commodities through Scott Trade. I thought it was just you, for stocks and bonds. You can't. You can't. Nope. They'll do it for you. But it's it's not. It's like I tell say this all the time. It's like going to a Chinese restaurant and ordering a hamburger. Like it's on the menu, but it's not what they do. Mm, gotcha. Are there some commodities that are more volatile or more risky than others? Like what's a good like beginner commodity? to? For trade? sure. Yeah. So the. The best commodities to trade for beginners are probably the grains, so corn and wheat. Um, and the great thing about those are they even have mini contracts. So instead of trading 5,000 bushels, you can trade 1,000 bushel contracts, and they're, the margin's only like four or 500 bucks. So it, I like those because it's almost like – it's kind of like paper trading but with a little bit of skin in the game. So you get a little bit of the emotional side of things, but you're also uh, not you know, going to lose your shirt either. What's paper trading? Um, paper trading, like practice trading with fake money. Oh, like monopoly money, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. People, you'd be surprised. People do that for years and they think they're going to come and be professional traders, but it's so much different trading with fake money than real money. It's it's really not even comparable. I would imagine there's like a a set of psychological switches that you literally never (laughs) flip when you're playing with stock games or monopoly money. So I've had that inkling before. I'm like, oh, if I just practice a bunch on um, the bankrate.com stock trading simulation <laughs> and I'll be a genius yeah. at stock trading. And then, you know, the mo- moment you put your yeah. money in, you're like, Oh, right. Now I actually care. So yes, it, it clouds your thinking. Oh, absolutely. It does. And the, the funny thing is I see a lot of times people that like beginning traders, people that have never traded futures before they open their account and they really honestly don't respect the markets because they don't have a real feel for how risky they can be. Mm-hmm. So because they're not, afraid they make money and it's like the worst thing that could ever happen like i've seen for example i saw one guy open an account with 20 grand he'd never traded before and in two days he brought the account from 20 grand to 60 grand and like he called me up and goes well this is easy does everyone do this and i said uh no you should seriously wire that forty thousand back and like play with the market's money and he ended up giving it all back in like two days Mm because he just once he realized that he was he should have been scared and you know shouldn't it shouldn't be that easy then he started overthinking everything and it 
doesn't he, he work. He gave the yeah. forty thousand dollars back. Well, because he lost. Uh, yeah, it. plus plus the twenty. So he started with twenty. He got it up to sixty, and then he lost everything. Oh, he uh, lost this, it all. Okay. I, yeah, he I lost it all. I... And this all happened in a couple of days. But it, it just and I see that. I actually see it a lot. People, <laughs> beginning traders, it's like beginner's luck because they just don't realize that they should be nervous or scared or whatever. And then once they realize that, hey, wait a minute, this isn't all that easy. Then it they start losing because it's it's a mind game. It really is total mind game. Dude, do you ever wonder? Like sometimes I've had this conspiracy theory thought. Um, like, what if the people running the stock simulation games? Like actually execute the trades of their best players because the players don't know that it's real. <laughs> right. Oh, hey, that's that's an interesting thought. I've never Ooh, thought of that before. There it is, Andrew. Listen, Money Matters stock simulation game. Get all of our <laughs> listeners to have no skin in the game, and then we'll go do the trades they do. How did Andrew get that boat? God. <laughs> <laughs> Help Andrew get his boat.com. <laughs> so wheat is a good starting commodity. It uh, is. What, what's like the worst commodity to start with? Okay, the worst commodity to start with is lumber, but for some odd reason, that's what everybody wants to trade. And the, and the reason being, lumber is illiquid. The, the uh, there's not very many market participants, so it just it's choppy, it's erratic. It's just not the place to be. And there's a lot of Canadians okay. in there, I guess, right? Have a lot of- <laughs> I yeah, I hear that. <laughs> Lumber's just a sexy thing to trade. Mm. I guess so. <laughs> I don't know. What about like uh, like gold, silver, precious metals? Gold is a good market to trade, especially because the the CME, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, offers micro contracts, which are awesome. There, mm-hmm. it's basically ten ounces of gold that you're trading on a futures contract, so the margin's oh, okay. only a thousand dollars. Ten ounces of gold is manageable. Like for example, today gold was down. Uh, let's see, it was down about five dollars. So with a micro, you you lost, made or lost, I should say, fifty bucks. So it's, okay. you know you can live with that. Trading the full-size contract is pretty wild, and I don't recommend it for beginning traders. The full-size contract is 100 ounces of gold, so on today's move, you would have made or lost 500 bucks, and that's a quiet day. So. Gotcha. Um, so I, I've heard about the difference between like soft commodities and hard commodities. What exactly are is it in each of those categories? Uh, soft commodities are basically... Um, Food and fiber, so like orange juice, cocoa, sugar. Okay. The weird so thing stuff about I eat? yeah, yeah, mostly stuff you could eat. Um, cotton falls into that, which is a fiber. You probably don't want to eat cotton. But the weird thing about softs is they trade on a different exchange than all other commodities in the U.S. They trade oh. on the internet intercontinental exchange, and honestly, uh, they're not very friendly to small retail traders. Like they're the data fees are really high and the liquidity is questionable. So I'm not a real big fan of trading the softs. We have a lot of clients that do it, but it's probably not the best place for beginning traders. Wouldn't grain be a soft run though? Grain, it, it kind of, by the Webster's Dictionary definition, yes, it would be. But in the world of commodities, we kind of make up our own rules. So the grains are don't fall in the softs. We just call them the grains. Okay. So then hard commodities would be like oil and metal and stuff you can't eat pretty much? Correct. Right. Okay. Is there is there anything else that is like a pretty common commodity that you trade that we haven't mentioned? Um, you know, the most popular uh, product that we that we trade and our clients trade is the E Mini S and P. So it's basically a futures contract based on the stock market. So like a futures is it a futures contract based on the current value of the S and P five hundred? It is. Yes. Yeah. Yep. It is. So. Okay, so you're doing futures on mutual funds, basically. 
yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, and it's uh, it's extremely liquid, and there are options written against it, like uh, expiring almost every day. I mean, it's really crazy. So it's a really, really good market to get into. And that so that's a good one for beginners, or just it's just good. Liquid, liquid? Um, I think it's a good one for beginners as long as they. Uh, are not doing something crazy like day trading on high leverage or like we do when we trade the e-mini S&P, we generally do it with a, with a hedge. So we're not just like naked buying or selling the futures. We will buy or sell the futures and then we'll also trade an option against it. So if, you know, if you're beginner, but beginning enough, you know, advanced enough to kind of know some of the strategies with options, I think it's a great place to be. Trade an option against it. Yeah. I mean, like you're, also shorting it at the same time or kind of it can be like so for today for example this morning we were doing uh, a covered put where we sell a futures contract and then we also sell a put against it near the money and so the the premium that we collect it's kind of like in stocks covered calls but it's the opposite um, i don't know any of these terms <laughs> okay i don't know what a put is or a covered uh, call all right well, the idea is you're basically, it's kind of like an income strategy. You're bringing in income to cushion your risk on your future speculation. Okay. Okay. I'll have to do some reading about it. Okay. It's like buying like, car insurance from Geico. Right. <laughs> no. Is it? No. <laughs> I can't, I can't yeah, see Carrie's like face grimace as I just <laughs> destroy <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it often takes um, a while for a lot of these things to come together. But I think, like, we are totally. at the very least planting seeds for our listeners mm. and for me. Good. All right. Um, so that's good. Yeah. <laughs> that's I, I will good. have to that's go cool. look up what all these. Because, yeah, Andrew, I think you were you were right in saying we shouldn't get into options today. That's like a whole deep end. It's, yeah. One sentence generated about 15 questions in my right. head. <laughs> It does. It gets a little bit hairy. It's one of those things, honestly, like when I was in college and reading about it, it seemed so complicated. But once you actually do it a couple times, it just it seems so simple. So it's if you actually put a few trades on, you'd, it would come to you really easily. But it's it's tough to get your mind around at first. OK, so I, I don't want to get into a huge discussion about it, but I do want to ask you if my like current high level understanding of an option is correct. Mm -hmm. Is it basically like buying the right to buy something at a future point? Yes. Yep. That's exactly, that's what it is. Is it like at a, at a set price instead of what it currently costs or what Correct. it costs then? So Correct. basically like yep. I could buy an option to say like, all right, in two years, um, I have the option to buy gold at $10 an ounce. Mm -hmm. And you're just basically paying a certain amount of money right now for that option. For that, yeah, yep, that's okay, exactly gotcha. right. Yep, you understand it. So if gold is at like a zillion dollars an ounce, then I'll sell off on my gold. And if it's <laughs> at, or it, or you know, if it's a zillion dollars an ounce, I would buy a bunch, not sell it off. I right. buy a bunch, and then I can yeah. just sell it immediately yep. and make a zillion dollars. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. You got it. All right, Andrew, we should do a an options episode at some point to dig deeper into that. See how people actually. <laughs> I think pleasure. that would be awesome. Have you ever bought any commodities, Andrew? No. No, not at all. I, I feel like yeah, I can't. If I don't understand it, I can't. I can't participate. I might as well okay. just go to Vegas then. <laughs> probably, probably better chances. It is, yeah, it is. If if you approach the commodity markets in a certain way, yes, it's not any different than 
being in Las Vegas. I actually live in Las Vegas and I, I feel like I gamble for a living. So I never go to the casinos. <laughs> I imagine you walk into the casino and you're just like, ah, it's just work. <laughs> yeah. It's more flashing, blinking lights and right. you, you just buy futures of Pepto-Bismol. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Well, Carly, thank you for coming on the show. This is a really complicated topic, but I, I feel like I understand it fairly well at this point. You did a good job at explaining it. So good. Thank awesome. You. Well, thanks for inviting me. It was fun. Yeah. I appreciate so, you telling exactly it to us like we're five because <laughs> we, we have like no understanding. Well, that's it's good right. to explain like five episode. So your book, um, Higher Probability Commodity Trading, is that like a how-to manual on how to do it or what exactly is that about? It is. Yeah. It's... Uh, it's basically everything that I've learned throughout my career, uh, the good and the bad. I mean, I don't sugarcoat anything. I tell everyone how it is. Um, but it, it includes like what the futures markets are, what options are, and then it gets into analyzing the markets, what to look for, um, charts, fundamentals, that sort of thing. And then it also even gets into strategy analysis and putting together a trading strategy. So it covers a little bit of everything. Sweet. And what was your, um, your brokerage that you... Either do you run it or is you just yeah. work for it? Yeah, I run it. It's uh, it's called decarlytrading.com. Well, our website's decarlytrading.com. Okay. What's the DE? Okay. So the uh, the co-founder, her last name is DeCarlo, and then my first name is Carly. And so we uh, had so many common letters, we decided to just put them together, and that's what we got. Gotcha. It's like a portmanteau yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Nice. Cool. Well, we will have all those links up in the show notes. So if anybody wants to go check out uh, Decarly Trading, the website, or the book, Higher Probability Commodity Training. Trading. I keep saying training. <laughs> well, it's kind <laughs> of Venture training. Out. It's, a, it's a guide. It's true. It is. Higher uh, Probability Commodity Training. Training. There you go. It worked. <laughs> it worked. So if anybody wants to go further, learn more, go further than we have gone, because Andrew and I have not done this before. Well, um, looks like Carly is the person to listen to and to read up on. Um, so listenmoneymatters.com slash show. You can find our show notes page there for this episode. And you can also go over to listenmoneymatters.com slash toolbox. If you'd like to find all of our favorite resources, books, apps that we recommend all kinds of cool stuff. Andrew, I can't tell if your face says, I want to say something or if you're just like chilling. My face says I'm almost done with this beer. Should I get another oh, okay. one? <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, I'll wrap it up in, uh, guys, thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for and listen to the whole episode and we'll see you in the next episode. Later. Later, man. Please tell your friends about this show. <laughs>